morning, everyone, and I'm glad each one of you are here, the few that are sitting in the seats and the rest of you that are watching, uh, and I pray that the Lord blesses you and blesses the teaching to your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we realize there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And we pray, Father, that as we break open your word this morning, it would bring comfort during uncertain times. And just give us confidence and direction and help us to realize, Lord, it all points to the fact that we belong to you, you're God, you're in charge, and one day soon, maybe very soon, we're going to be with you. So come and use me and anoint me, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to be able to minister to these, your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. A few housekeeping things to share. As far as the women's Bible study on Tuesday, and the men's, uh, the Wednesday Bible study on Wednesday, the women are studying Ephesians, and on Wednesday we're studying First John. All you have to do is go to the church website, and you can click in. The ID number will be there and so forth, and you can click in. And uh, the church website is BereanCalvaryChapel.org. Very simple, BereanCalvaryChapel.org. And that way, if you need to make sure you have Zoom downloaded on your phone or your laptop in order to be able to join the meeting. Okay, um, I thank all of you for watching and those of you that are sitting here. And I want you to know that even though uh, we're separated because of this coronavirus, uh, that uh, Vi and I and Frank and Nikki are always available. You can call us. You can even stop by. We're your pastors and we want to minister to you. So do not allow anything to prevent you from contacting us if you have need, if you just even would like to have someone to pray with you. And um, I've been asked actually several times on, on Facebook now if um, I believe this virus is a direct judgment from God. Well, no. I believe this virus is a product of our fallen world. But can God use it? Yes, he's God. And he can use it for any purposes that he wants. And so we have to understand that even through this, I think the Lord is using it to do very positive things. For instance, uh, Vi and I went for a walk in the Erie Canal the other day, and we saw family after family walking together. It was a real blessing. And we've heard testimonies of families that are spending time together, and they're playing games together and praying together. And so I think the Lord can use all of this for his purposes. But to say this is a direct judgment from God, I don't believe so. But we have to understand it's a sign that we're getting close to the end. But there's a huge difference between saying this is a direct judgment and saying this is just one of the signs of the end times. And so it causes each one of us to remember that we as believers are always to lift up our heads knowing our redemption is drawing near. And Jesus is coming back for his church and maybe sooner than we think. Now, uh, to understand this portion, and by the way, you might want to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 15, and we're going to be covering verses 30 through 36. Numbers, Numbers chapter 15, and we'll be covering verses 30 through 36. Numbers, thir Numbers 15, Numbers 15. And we're covering 30 through 36, Numbers 15. Now, 
To understand this portion of Scripture properly, we must realize that it's all about faith. It's not about a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. It's about faith. And a perfect example we have of this is found in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verses 6 through 15. Jeremiah had already prophesied that the Babylonians were going to come in and besiege Jerusalem and that they would be taken into 70 years of captivity. And so after Jeremiah prophesied this, was aware of what was going to happen, he went out and he bought land. Now why did he do that? Because he believed God. God said after 70 years they would return to the land. So he went out and he purchased the land as an act of his belief. Now, the thing is, belief is not really put to the test until something is actually taking place. For instance, Jeremiah, when Jerusalem was being besieged by Babylon, Jeremiah didn't turn around and say, well, I made a mistake, maybe I want to sell this land back. No, he kept the land because he believed God. And of course, God was proven to be true. After 70 years, the Jews did come back into the land. And so faith is always believing what God says and that he means what he says. And that he can be trusted because he proves himself to be faithful over and over and over. And as I mentioned, faith is only proven when it's put to the test. You understand what I'm saying? It's only proven when it's put to the test. Because we can say, I believe, I have faith, but then when the test really comes, are we willing to say, I stand on my belief, even though it seems very difficult? You know, kind of a silly example uh, to give is um, I remember when Vi and I were having our first child, and uh, I talked her into going through natural childbirth classes. And, uh, you know, I was, that was my background. And so I talked her in, into it, and many of our friends thought we were crazy, because number one, believe it or not, at that time, the husband never went in the delivery room. So just the fact I was going into the delivery room made people think we were crazy. And the fact that we weren't going to use a spinal block or any kind of uh, anesthetic, that also blew people's mind. You mean you're just going to naturally have the baby like they did in the olden days? And our answer was yes. And so Vi believed me. She had faith. And we went to the classes, and we did all of the exercises, the breathing exercises. They taught me uh, where to put my hands so I could actually tell when the contraction was coming before Vi. And we did all this training for several months before the delivery. But the real test came when we're in the delivery room and Vi had her first contraction. Now the test really begins. And it worked. The natural childbirth was fantastic. And uh, uh, Vi and I, you know, just told everyone how great it was because we believed, but now through the testing, we really believe. You follow the point? And that's how God works with us. We believe God, but then God will take us through tests that sometimes are very difficult, but we believe. And so if we believe, we must always act like we do. And uh, someone once said that, uh, belief is demonstrated by life, belief by life. And so if you believe God, it's demonstrated by your life, by the way you live. And so if we believe God, we must act on his commandments. We must act on his directives in faith 
believing that he truly is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, one of the things I think that bother people when they read this portion of Scripture is that this man is put to death. Here you have this, this, this guy, and he's out there gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and he ends up being stoned to death by the whole congregation outside the camp. And people say, that just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But one of the things we have to remember as we look at this portion of Scripture is that the man was in willful, arrogant disobedience to the Lord. And the thing we also have to remember is that death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. Physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. The worst thing that can happen to a person is to not be saved is to die without having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the worst thing that can happen. For instance, in uh, 1 John in chapter 5 and verse 12, 1 John 5, 12, it says, and this is so easy to understand. Look at what it says. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How easy can that be? And so, therefore, if a righteous man dies at an early age, he's going to receive his reward. If he dies at 10, if he dies at 20, if he dies at 30, he's going to receive his reward. And if an unrighteous man dies at an early age, he's also going to receive his reward. And the same is true of an old person. So I think we make a mistake in trying to attribute too much to the age in which someone passes from this life to the next. We have to understand that our reward is not found in this life. Our reward is found in Jesus Christ, in the life to come. And so we have to make sure that we recognize that the most important decision that any of us make is whether we've committed our life to Jesus Christ or not, whether we've been born again of the Spirit or not. And we have to realize that the age in which someone dies is not a matter of God's judgment or God's blessing. If you're a born-again Christian, no matter what age you die, it's a testimony of God's blessing because you're going to be in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's appointed unto every man once to die and then judgment. And as a believer, our judgment is innocent by the blood of the Lamb. You're going to heaven. But we also have to understand that judgment of the unbeliever is also fixed. And because they've rejected the free, free gift of salvation, then they're cast into, into hell. And that's pretty sad. In Revelation 20:15, it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And so we have to understand that we, everyone, has a chance. Everyone's going to die once, but some are going to die to life, and some are going to die to death. You follow what I'm saying? If you're a believer, you die to eternal life, to be with God forever. If you're an unbeliever, you die to the second death. And that's a very serious, serious thing. And that's the reason we have to consider our relationship with God um, as being the most important decision that we make in our life. Now, um, we're getting into Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to read verse, verses 30 through 31 first. 
But the person who does anything presumptuously. Now, presumptuously is Yad Ramah in the Hebrew. And Yad means power, and Ramah means by one's own hand. And so when it talks about doing something presumptuously as it is used here, it means doing something in one's own power. And so this man, in his disobedience and going out and gathering sticks, it wasn't just, oh, just some little mistake he made on the Sabbath. He knew what he was doing it, and he, Yad Ramah, he did it in his own power. He did it presumptuously, arrogantly, in the face of God. That's what it's telling us there. And so it goes on to say in this verse, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach, listen, on the Lord. It's not just reproach on himself, on the Lord. And he shall be cut off from among his people because he has, dis- listen, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. It wasn't anyone else's fault. His guilt was upon him. Now, as I mentioned, notice in, in uh, verse 30, it starts right off. It says, the person who does anything presumptuously. So that is willing, willing, knowing disobedience to God. It is demonstrating he didn't believe God. This was not something he did by mistake or he was tricked into. He knew what he was doing, and he did it right in the face of God. And um, so this isn't just some ignorant guy not knowing what he was doing, but this was aggressive rebellion to the Lord. And he not only rebelled against the Lord, but think about it. He was challenging God's authority. He was challenging his authority. It's amazing. Now, we continue on in verse 32, and we're going to look at verses 32 through 36. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him under guard because, listen to this, because it had not been explained what should be done to him. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So, as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp, and they stoned him with stones, and he died. You see, there was no excuse for breaking the Sabbath. It was the fourth and one of the most important commandments that God gave. Because we have to understand what the purpose of the Sabbath is. It is a chance for us to worship God, to be in fellowship with him, to be in fellowship with one another, and to have a day of rest with our families. Because remember, seven days, you know, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you rest. It's important to have that kind of rest as well. And so we have to realize that his unwillingness to obey the Sabbath, and, and, and the fact is, There was no excuse for it because the Lord promised them that on the sixth day he would provide enough food. Remember manna coming down and so forth. He would provide enough food that they didn't have to gather on the seventh day. I mean, God made all the provisions necessary that on the seventh day they could rest from their labors, worship him, and have fellowship with him and with one another. That was the purpose of it. But they didn't believe 
You know, in Job chapter 15 and verses 25 and 26, it says this, for he stretches out his hand against God. It's talking about the arrogant person going against the Lord. Look at what it says. He stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong embossed shield. That's, that's a man going into war. So in other words, I challenge you, God, and he's running into God, you know, running towards God as a man of war, thinking he's going to challenge the Lord. And what Job is writing about here is the same kind of sin this man committed gathering sticks in the wilderness. I'm going against the Lord. I'm going to do what I want to do. Again, we find in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21 uh, a very important verse of Scripture for us to look at, and that's 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And that was when, remember, Elijah was challenging uh, all the, the priests you know, of Baal on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people, and he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Well... That's really very significant there. They answered him not a word. You know why? They were waiting to see what would happen. Okay, Elijah's saying this. The prophets of Baal are saying this. And Elijah challenges them. Hey, if the Lord is God, follow him. If, if Baal is God, follow him. Make a choice. And they were silent. Well, we just kind of want to see which way it goes. That was disobedience to the Lord. It was a lack of faith and trust in the one who loved them more than anyone, the one who created them, God Almighty. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to answer this question right away? You know, with this whole thing that's going on with the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, this whole thing that's going on, are we trusting God or are we being pulled away and frightened by the world? For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have nothing to fear at all. We belong to Jesus Christ. And so this might be an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith in such a way that we can minister to other people, maybe even bring other people into the faith. Because this is the thing. Faith in Jesus Christ is the most important decision we can make because God is exactly who he said he is. He is the one who holds all things. He is the creator of the universe. Now, understand that all that this man did in gathering the sticks wasn't just gathering sticks to make a fire. It was a defiant act of unbelief. And uh, this man was warned, but he didn't believe God. And this should encourage each one of us to know what God's commands are, to know what he wants. And we know that by studying the word, by studying the Bible. You shouldn't be believing what I'm sharing just because I'm sharing it. You should believe it because you're studying the word of God on your own and comparing it to what I'm sharing. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so as we study the word of God, we can put it to the test. And over and over again, God proves himself to be true. I love it, what it tells us, in Hebrews 11:6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we're diligently seeking the Lord, we have nothing to fear. We belong to God. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be funny or arrogant or presumptuous. Obviously, I just talked about it. But very honestly, if I came down with the COVID-19 virus and I died, I'm with the Lord. This isn't the end. We're promised eternal life in Jesus Christ. For the Christian, it goes from, from, you know, from good because we're saved to better because we're with the Lord to even a little bit better because we're reigning with him on earth to the very best we're going to be united with him in the new Jerusalem. How amazing. It's a win-win-win situation for believers. We have nothing to lose. It's so exciting when you study God's word, isn't it? And so we have, we have to make sure that we don't put anything before God's word. Neither our fleshly desire, now listen to this, or even our religion. A lot of times we confuse our faith with religion. You know, we get all, well, this and that. And, and, and I'm not saying that certain traditions that we have are wrong. But for instance, a lot of people are thinking and talking about, well, are we going to be able to gather on Easter Sunday? What if this uh, shutdown isn't over with and Easter Sunday comes and we can't gather? Are we going Well, to, to gather together on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing. But one day is not lifted above another according to the word of God. It's some religious act that we do that is very nice and it has a lot of significance biblically in, in, in recognizing the resurrection. But it's not like, oh, we can't get together on Easter Sunday. We should be in fellowship with the Lord every day. And on Easter Sunday, it is an opportunity for us to take special time into recognizing all that he did for us. And we'll be here. You know, we might be just a few and, and everyone else is watching, but we can still be together in fellowship with the Lord. Now, we have to remember that these people lived in the very presence of God. These people in the wilderness, these, these Israelites that were in the wilderness, they lived in the presence of God. And you might be asking yourself, well, what do you mean? Remember, he was over them as a pillar of cloud by day and over them as a pillar of fire by night. They had visit, you know, a visible proof of his presence. All they had to do is look up, and there's the pillar by day, there's the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by day. There he is. God's there. They knew the presence of God. And that's the thing that makes it even so much more amazing that someone could have such ignorance in their heart to think that they can defy the living God and go out and do what they wanted to do. Now, the whole congregation was to stone him. Why? And outside the camp, as sign, a sign of faith, as a sign of unity. And outside the camp, the purpose behind that is, is that sin should not be found in the body of Christ. And so they were taken outside the camp to receive their punishment. And the reality is that those who really reject God, who are not born again, they're not going to be disciplined in the church. They're going to be disciplined outside the church because they are not part of the body of Christ. They're not part of the bride of Christ. You can't be part of the beautiful relationship that God has with us if you're an unbeliever. Now, here's the thing. There might be some of you watching that are, that are saying, well, how can I know that I belong to Christ? How can I know that I'm a Christian? 
It's so amazing because God makes everything simple. You know, you go to some religious ceremonies or some religious sects, and they have a whole list of things you've got to do in order to be a member of that church or a member of that body. But to be a member of the body of Christ is the simplest thing in the world. And you know why God made it simple for us? Because we're dumb. We really have a hard time with things. So God made it very simple for us. And here's what it is. God said that we have to confess that we're sinners. Because the realization is, if we don't understand we're sinners, we don't understand our need. And if we think, well, I'm a good guy, I'm a great, great girl, and, and I, I, I do everything, I try real hard to do everything that's right. Well, what you're saying is, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need God. So the first thing we have to realize is we're sinners. And I don't think there's any one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't think of a myriad of things that we have done, maybe are doing, and maybe we will do in the future that are an example of the fact that we're sinners. So we have to recognize that we're sinners before we can confess. How can you confess of something you don't believe? So we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. And you have to believe it in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And come in and take over my life. It's that simple, brothers and sisters. It's that easy. So when we make our confession of sin to God, guess what? He forgives us. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do we understand that? It's that simple. Lord, forgive me a sinner. He forgives you. Then invite him to come in and take over your life. But when he takes over our life, we have to walk in the Spirit. If we're going to have the Lord come into our heart and we desire to have him lead our life, we have to be submissive to his Spirit. Your flesh might say, go here, and the Spirit might be saying, no, go there, don't go there. You know, Go this way, follow me. And so we as believers, our whole process of growing in the Lord is learning to become more and more submissive to the Spirit and more and more rejective of the flesh. Because the flesh will always lead you in a wrong direction, the Spirit always will lead you in the right direction, upwards and higher in your walk with the Lord. It's amazing. Now, when a lawbreaker is punished, we have to understand it's an encouragement to the whole body not to sin. When this lawbreaker was brought before Moses and, you know, and Aaron and, and the whole congregation, notice they, di- they didn't make a rash decision. They sought the Lord. Lord, what would you have us do? And the Lord said, he broke my Sabbath arrogantly, presumptuously, and his discipline, his punishment is death. And they believed God and they took him outside the camp and they put him to death. Because realize this. If a lawbreaker is not punished for breaking the law, then it encourages and emboldens others to break the law, thinking there's no punishment. Laws are never given for our um, because because someone who makes the laws doesn't like us. Laws are given to protect us, right? Isn't that the reason we have laws to protect us? You know, speeding laws. If you have someone driving down the road 90 miles an hour in a 40-mile zone, it's not just that they're breaking the law, but they're endangering the lives of others. So laws are always put in place for our protection. And so 
When God lays out his law, it's for our protection, to encourage us to live in such a right way. And uh, it's important, you know, for us to realize, too, that we, you know, the, the word of God has just laid out for us the, the laws of unintentional sin. Moses laid this out for the, you know, from God, Moses laid it out to the children of Israel. If you accidentally committed a sin, there, there's forgiveness for you. But because this man never confessed that he committed sin, his sin wasn't unintentional. His sin wasn't a sin of ignorance. He willfully defied the Lord. Now, think about this, those of you who have children. If you had a child who did something wrong and you disciplined the child and said, what you did is wrong, and the child said, I'm so sorry, I will never do that again, I know I was wrong. Well, your attitude towards that child would be different than if the child said to you, yeah, I know I did something wrong and I'm going to do it again. What are you going to do about it? That's the difference between the person who recognizes they're a sinner and goes before the Lord and cries out in confession than the person who is presumptuous against God. I can do what I want. Well, we might do what we want, but we find often that it leads to destruction. Now, we have to understand that all of this was a matter of unbelief. And uh, the man was warned, but he didn't believe. He did not believe God. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, But without faith, listen, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we can't put anything before the word of God, neither our flesh nor our religion. Everything has to be based on the word of God and his truth. And what his word says, that is the directive for our life. Now, it's interesting. Laws were never meant to be a burden, but a protection. That's what I've shared with you. Now, this is going to seem a little bit, you know, where is he going with this kind of out there? But just follow, and, and, and I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. Sir James Chadwick, in uh, 1932, he discovered the neutron atom contained uh, positive protons in the nucleus and negatively charged electrons in the orbits around the nucleus. And except in the case of an isotope, they were equal. But the fact is that 90% of the weight of a neutron atom is in the nucleus. And so we all know when we have a positive and negative, they come together, like magnets. Boom, they come together. And so they call it the law of uncertainty why these neutron atoms just don't collapse, why they don't just implode, because those electrons should be being pulled right into the negative neutrons, and especially in the case of an isotope. I mean, it's called the the law of uncertainty. They don't know why. But I know why, and you might think this is very you know, simple and, and, and doesn't really make sense. It makes all the sense in the world to me. In Colossians 1.7, he is before all things, and in, in him all things consist and are held together. I mean, here you have secular scientists ca- calling it the law of uncertainty. 
How does that happen? They don't know. But we know God holds everything together. We know in 1 Peter, when he's creating the new heaven and the new earth, it says the old heaven and the old earth is consumed by fire. I just think the Lord just lets go. And everything's just gone. Then he creates a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. And so God's authority, brothers and sisters, is based on who he is. And we have to understand that even creation itself testifies to the glory of God. All men are without excuse. Well, I don't believe God. Well, Scripture says you're a fool then. The fool says in his heart. So we have to understand that everything around us, the neutron atom that we just talked about, is proof that God exists. This law of uncertainty has an answer. It's the hand of God. And listen, follow along with me in Psalm 19 and verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles open, Psalm 19 and verses 1 through 4. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttering speech. Did you know that there are harmonic sounds that come from the stars on a regular basis, continuous basis? And night unto night reveals knowledge. You look up at the stars, you have constellations, and they have their place, and the way they revolve around the earth according to the time of year are exact. They can be charted exactly. And even things like, you know the earth is on a a, a tilt, 23 and a third degrees on its axis. Did you know how important that is? If the, if the earth pointed towards the sun, right directly at the sun, the top part of the earth would be uh, hotter, hotter than the tropics, and the bottom part, the whole bottom part of the earth, would be an ice zone. But because it's on an axis and tra- rotates around the sun, we have our seasons. We have our season of cold weather, especially in Syracuse, and we have our season of warm weather. So we have to realize everything God does in such... How can we say... That, well, all this was made randomly. All this is just, you know, a cosmic explosion. Chaos never leads to order. Order always eventually goes to chaos, if you believe uh, the laws of thermodynamics. But the thing we have to realize is that everything is in order, in perfect order. And it's all because we have a God creator who did it all. Let me continue. Um, day unto day... Uh, they utter speech, and night unto night they reveal knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, anywhere in the world, the voice of God is heard and seen by his handiwork. Their line, their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. How amazing. From the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the entire Bible is about redemption. And the Lord's desire has always been to have fellowship with his creation. Have fellowship with his creation, which only comes out of love. And this is why uh, obvious rebellion to the Lord is so grievous. We have to understand, just like there was a sacrifice for unintentional sin... For you and I as believers, whether it's unintentional or intentional, there is a sacrifice for sin, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we look at this, 
and we come to realize that right from the fall of man, it's always been about redemption. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves us. He loves the people of this earth. He desires more than anything else for us to have intimate fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. That's the most important thing. And yet, so many people in this world ignore God. I think that probably one of the most, in my opinion, satanic theories that was ever introduced on this planet was the theory of evolution. Because you think about it, it smacks right in the face of God. The theory of evolution is saying God is wrong. God did not create the heavens and the earth. Wow, that's quite a serious accusation. And it's interesting that even creation itself testifies to the glories of God. And yet you have men in their arrogance that will come out and say, I don't believe. Well, the reality is, what the Bible says about God is 100% true. It can be proven in every way possible. I mean, science, if one is honest about it, realizes that evolution is without any basis. And creation is the only thing that makes any, any sense at all. When you think just about the, whole, the properties of DNA and how they haven't changed the years. We can tell whether a person is Native American or, or whether a person is Jewish or whatever just by their DNA. The DNA that we carry determines you know, what our children are going to look like and be like. How amazing is that? Do you think that's just evolved? Now, if you want to read a good book, and it was written by Dr. Gish, I can't remember his first name, but the name of the book is From Goo to You by Way of the Zoo. And it's a great book. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, we're living in a time like no other time in history. I believe the Lord is coming back, and he's coming back soon. Study the book of Revelation. We're in that time. We're seeing the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. We're seeing all these signs increasing, increasing man's destruction against man. And I think things are going to happen maybe in ways we don't recognize. Or, you know, when everything is going bad like this, we're thinking, oh, the Lord's coming back. This must be the time. I think it's possible. This, my opinion, just my opinion, I think it's possible this could all pass over. The coronavirus, the COVID-19 is going to be, you know, settled. And the economy is going to go through the ceiling. Everything's going to seem to be going great. And then the rapture will come. Why do we always think it's going to come when things are really bad. Dave Hunt, um, an amazing man of God who's with the Lord now, he wrote a book some years ago called Peace, Prosperity, and the Coming Holocaust. When everyone is thinking things are going great, that's when he comes. And so, brothers and sisters, po probably all of this has intensified your desire to look to the Lord's coming. But when things become great, don't let that diminish your desire for the Lord's return. That might be the very time period in which he'll come. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged in the Lord. Be strong in the faith. And one day soon, we'll all be meeting in here together again. And until that day, keep your focus in the Lord. And remember, God's gift of salvation, for those of you that aren't saved, is free. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pay anything. Just say, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. It's that simple. Do it. 
And those of you that are believers, trust in the Lord. Confess your unbelief. Confess your fears to God because he cares about you. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for this portion of Scripture. And I pray that you would bless it to the ears of each one who heard it this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would also uh, be preparing uh, Pastor Frank Jr. for his teaching at 11 and encourage those who are listening now to come back at 11 and hear his teaching as well. And I ask, Father, that through all of this, your hand is working to cause us to become stronger in our faith. Help us, Lord, to commit all things to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.